0: Have you ever had a moment in your life when you started a project really strong? I mean, you come out of the gate ready to go. You say, bring on the challengers, bring on the naysayers, bring on all of the adversaries because I have got this. Nothing is going to stop me. And then all of a sudden, life sets in and you realize this is going to be a little bit more challenging than I thought. But my head is still above water. I have still got this. And then a little bit more life sets in and you realize everyone who said they were going to be there with you has all of a sudden fallen by the wayside. And what I visualized this was going to be like looks quite differently. Because see, I thought I was going to be the Kool-Aid man, bursting through the wall to tackle all of these projects. Now, I realize that Kool-Aid man reference is something that only those of you over the age of 40 is going to get. But nonetheless, instead of tackling the project, I have now slowed down to a snail's pace. In fact, You could say, I have lost my steam. In this current season that you and I are finding ourselves in, I'm sure that you can relate to those moments. I know that my wife, Jacqueline, and I surely have because we've reflected over these past six weeks. And six weeks ago, we started a very new norm. And it's a norm that, to be honest with you, a norm I don't prefer because it's become far too common for us to just talk to people through screens or to talk to people through glass. And I feel like I have to carry a virtual tape measure with me everywhere I go to make sure that you're not uh, encroaching up on my space. In fact, when I think about my daughter and education, we are parents who wanted to reinforce and believe so highly in the value of education. But now we found ourselves as the sole authority in those matters. And I'm going to be honest with you all. Can I be honest with you for a second? We started strong. We started very strong. In fact, the first two weeks in, we had our kids in virtual art lessons. They were learning to draw Disney characters. I was contemplating taking a class from Yale University in management because they offered all their online courses for free. My wife had enrolled our kids in a Debbie Allen Instagram course. I had the best yard in our neighborhood. I had pressure washed everything possible in our yard. In fact, I was thinking to myself, this would be a great time to learn German. Because I had big dreams and big hopes and big aspirations of what to do with this newfound norm. Well, fast forward to today, because see, for many of us today, a good week looks like knowing in the middle of the week the difference between Wednesday and Thursday. In fact, our kids are eating cookies for breakfast every day, and we just don't care anymore Now, I do need to go in full disclosure and make a disclaimer just so I don't get in trouble at home. My wife, Jacqueline, and I feel like we're doing a good job of keeping everything afloat, but I'm sure you can relate to those moments because we have these moments where we start strong, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we grow in strength or we grow in significance. We find ourselves today in Acts chapter 2 in the midst of this sermon series called We the Church. And what I want you to do today is to find your proverbial seatbelt and buckle up because what you're going to see today is how the church came into existence. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 is where the church is formed. And so if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2 or to hop on your mobile device because these 47 verses that we're going to look at today give us such a clear picture of what God is doing. Now, before I get into this any further, I, I want to give you a little bit of a, of a spoiler alert. Don't you love when you're watching a movie with someone and they're telling you what's going to happen before it happens? Well, that's what I'm going to do right now because in the next few minutes, you're going to see the church formed. And then you're going to see what actually sustains the church. And lastly, you're going to see the role that you and I have to play in that. In fact, your very job description is going to unfold before your eyes. But there's something I want you to hear. In fact, If you're going to tune out for the next few minutes, I don't want you to miss this. I want you to hone in on this specific phrase, the church is stronger than ever. Because see, evil does not win in the end. The church has not lost her steam. Jesus is alive, and through the Holy Spirit, he is working. So go with me today to Acts chapter 2, and let's see the type of church that God asks us to be. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for an opportunity to open up your word. And I pray that as the church was formed over 2,000 years ago, that it would still be as alive and new and fresh to us in this very moment. In this difficult season, we find ourselves, I pray, Lord, that you would give us vision to be the church that you have called into action, and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in this place today, and it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all of these things, amen and amen. Now Acts chapter 2 picks up on the day of Pentecost, and so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1 down through verse 8, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 11 through 13. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Down to verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. See, on the day of Pentecost was about 10 days after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, and it says in verse 1 that they are all together. They are assembled together, and suddenly something happens in their midst. The Holy Spirit comes like a mighty, rushing, violent wind and rests upon each of them. And as a result of that, they begin to speak in tongues or speak in different languages. And when they start speaking in different languages, all of the Jews who have assembled in Jerusalem start to understand and hear the words of God in their native tongue, and they're bewildered and they're amazed by what is happening actually part of them thought that this group of disciples had been doing some early morning drinking. But Peter is going to clear that up for you here in just a second, because what you need to understand about the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem is that it was a day of harvest. It was a day to celebrate the harvest. And it's on that very day that God sends the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And that Holy Spirit descends and gives them this incredible ability. But Peter clears it up because there is some confusion about what's going on. So listen to what what Peter says specifically in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd, "Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes on to give some Old Testament prophecy from Joel that says that in the last days that God is going to pour out His spirit. In fact, in verse 21, it says, "Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." And Peter is saying, that's exactly what happened. See, God promised that he was going to send the Holy Spirit, and you just weren't paying attention. You weren't in tune to that message. See, God also promised that he was going to send a Messiah, but you missed him as well. And Peter continues in this message, if you look at verse 22, and he tells them specifically what they did. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. See, this serves as a great reminder for you and I. In fact, if you're taking notes today or you're following along on the app, perhaps you want to jot this down, because this is a great reminder for us to take into this week. See, God is always moving in power whether you realize it or not. God is always moving in power, whether you realize it or not. From the beginning of recorded time, God has been moving in power. He knew our need and my need, your need for a savior. And he made a way for us to be made whole. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, so we could have life. That is God moving in power. God sent the Holy Spirit so that the early disciples would not have to go through life alone because he had given them a mission. That is God moving in power. It's highly likely that over the past six weeks, God has been wanting to move in power in your life. Over the past six years, God has been wanting to move in power in your life. But the reality is sometimes we just don't see it because God doesn't always work in the way that we would expect. God doesn't always follow the agenda that we would want him to follow. So maybe today we just simply open up our hands and say, God, I'm listening. Show me what it is that you desire to do today. A number of years ago, I was reminded of this point when I read a story and a devotional resource from Dr. Dennis Kinlaw at Asbury Theological Seminary. And Dr. Kinlaw tells this story about a flight that he was on, and he sits down by this gentleman on a flight, and they strike up a conversation. And I love this story so much, I empathize with it because that is me. If you're sitting next to me on a flight, you better put those earbuds in quickly because I'm going to engage you in a conversation. And they start talking, and the conversation gets really good. And this gentleman is sharing with Dr. Kinlaw some of the things from his life, and then the conversation takes a very spiritual nature, and Dr. Kinlaw is sharing the gospel. And he says the conversation is getting so good, but he realizes that simultaneously something else is happening the plane is descending. It's getting ready to land. And Dr. Kenlaw is, is saying, God, please give me some delay in the flight so that I can continue this conversation. But the plane lands. And if you've ever been on a flight, you know what happens. When the plane lands, everything changes. And he starts scurrying around and looking for uh, things in his, um, in his carry-on bags. And Dr. Kinlaw says, in a moment of angst, I just say to God, God, the conversation was getting so good. Why did you not give me an opportunity To continue it, and he said God reminded him in a way that he never had before. I was doing a really good job with this young man before you ever stepped into the picture. See, I was at work long before you were ever assigned him as a seatmate. See, it's possible that you and I forget that God is the one who is at work in the lives of other people long before we ever show up. And so it is our job to do what God desires us to do. And what God desires us to do is to never change anyone because we can't change anyone. But what he does desire us to do is to be faithful to share and to be faithful to be on mission and to share personally what God has done in our own lives. And what you're going to see here in Acts chapter 2, verse 32 specifically, is that is exactly what Peter and this group of disciples did. Look at verse 32. They say to the Jews, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. See, here you have the earliest group of Christ followers, the church. They're interacting with this Jewish population that has assembled for the day of Pentecost. And this group would have been so much smarter and wiser and more elite than the disciples. But the disciples say to them, God did what he said he was going to do. And as a result of that, you can trust him. They proclaimed and they spoke about what they had seen. Which leads me to my next point, and that is that you have a story, and that story is worth sharing. You have a story of what God has done. You have a story of how God has changed you, and that story is worth sharing. I believe with all of my heart that there will never be a substitute for your personal witness, for you engaging with people and talking to them about what God has done in your life. In fact, if we could teleport right now into all of your living rooms and pass around a microphone, I know that we would hear some incredible stories of transformation. In fact, I want to share a few of those with you today. These are actual stories. These are not made up. These are real stories from people who call Rolling Hills home. I've heard this story. I was addicted to painkillers, and God freed me from my addiction, and I want to help others who are struggling just like me. I've heard this story. God brought me healing in an area of my life that I had kept off limits and closed to everyone else. I've heard this story. I made it my personal mission to discredit Christians and to try to tear apart their message and to poke holes in their argument, but God moved in power and showed me his grace. How about this one? I've lived for success in this world. Money and power and influence were my gods, but it took all of them to fall by the wayside to help me realize where my hope really needed to be. My life revolved around finding my next drink and I had to hit rock bottom for a change to really occur, but only through God have I been able to maintain a healthy way of living. And I've heard this one time and time again, I am so unworthy of his love, but he forgave me. See, what makes your story so powerful is that no one can discredit your story. It is your story. It is a testimony of what you have seen God do. It's much like if you were to ask me, Pastor Jason, what's your favorite food? My answer to that question is gonna be pizza. What right would you have to look at me and say, actually, I don't think your favorite food is pizza. I think your favorite food is spinach. To which I would reply, no, I think I'm the best gauge of what my favorite food really is because I know what I know. Enter the disciples. See, they saw God bring life to Jesus. They were witnesses of it they saw the empty tomb. They saw him come and walk with them for 40 days on the earth. And then 10 days prior, they saw him go back to heaven. And just a few moments before this, they experienced the Holy Spirit like a violent rushing wind, and it gave them the ability to speak a language that they did not know. And it was heard by people in their native tongue. And so Peter and the disciples are looking at all of those who are hearing this, and they're saying, guys, There is something about this message. See, God has worked in your life. He has pulled back the curtain of hurt and shame in your life, and he has helped you make sense of the chaos and the challenges in your life. And if you are walking with him today, I promise you, you have a story to tell. In fact, we need you to share that story It is a story that is worth sharing because the witness of the early disciples is really what served as a catalytic event in the lives of the early church. And I believe in my heart that your story could be the same thing for someone else who hears it today. Now, Peter continues in verse 36 in this specific message, and listen to what he says in verse 36 and 37. He says, Therefore, uh, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So, see what Peter's doing here is he's testifying to who Jesus is. And he is saying that the message of Jesus uh, is so real and so prevalent. In fact, that message cut them to the heart. That Greek word uh, for cut them to the heart literally means to prick violently. And so this message of Jesus served as a dagger to their heart. And how did the, uh, those hearers respond? They simply said, what then shall we do? I believe when we're confronted with the reality of who Jesus is, that there's not a better question that you or I can ask than simply, what shall we do? And maybe today that's the question you need to ask. And when you ask that question, I want you to hear the response, because this is the very poignant response that Peter gave to that question of what shall we do. In verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and who, all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I don't know about you, but I would say this is a pretty good momentum builder for the church. Peter says repent and be baptized ask God to forgive you of your sins profess your faith in Christ and walk with him this is good news he says it's good news for you and for your children and your children's children and all of those who will hear it and as a result of that proclamation 3,000 people professed faith in Christ that day and friends the message has not slowed down since now, I have a background in speech communication. I actually studied speech communication in college. I was on the speech and debate team and, and, and try my best as a pastor to put words together in, in ways that will be meaningful and that will help you better understand God's word. And for all intent and purposes, this speech of Peter's, it really wasn't a very good speech. Let's just be honest. Why? Because he didn't have a good attention getter. He didn't tell us what he was going to tell us. He didn't remind us what he was going to tell us, and he didn't use any alliteration at all. (laughs) But what did he do? Well, we see that he prayed for about 10 days because it was 10 days before uh, Jesus or after Jesus ascended and before the Holy Spirit comes, and then he speaks for what appears to be maybe 10 minutes. And as a result of that, 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. So he prays for 10 days, speaks for 10 minutes, and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. See, what I tend to do is I tend to pray for 10 minutes, speak for 10 days, ask God to bless what I have already set in motion, and then step back and scratch my head and wonder why God is not doing anything significant. See, the reality is God is saying, I have a plan for you. I want to use you. I am the one that started all of this. I'm the one that set it in motion. This guy, Peter, lest we forget, denied even knowing who Jesus was about 53 days prior to this moment, but he was a man that allowed the message to cut to his heart as well. It violently pricked his heart, and as a result of that, he spoke of the goodness of Jesus and a plan for the broken world. Friends, I believe that God is looking for men and women right now who will follow suit. God is looking for men and women who will set aside their own agenda, and who will have a deep abiding commitment to do what God asks us to do. In fact, God invites us into a realm that maybe we've never experienced before. If you're watching today and you do not have a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ, then God invites you today. In fact, I want you to hear those words of Peter's sermon, to repent and to be baptized and to follow Jesus with all of your life. In fact, on your screen, wherever you're watching today, you're going to see some links some pages that you can go to and that you can share with us anytime about a next step that you may want to take. And we promise you that we will reach out to you and that we will follow up and that we will walk with you in this step that the Lord is asking you to take. Because see, this catalytic event is what launched the church. But I want you to hear this, friends. The ministry of the church continued, and it continues today. So listen to see what it is that actually sustained and spreaded the ministry, because that's where you and I come into the picture. Go with me to verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Which leads me to my next point. When I encounter Jesus, everything in me changes. When I encounter Jesus, everything in me changes. When this group, this group of 3,000, encountered Jesus, everything in them changed. Everything about their normal day to day life changed. An encounter with Jesus meant that they couldn't go on business as usual. And an encounter with Jesus means the same thing for you and I. Did you catch all of these things that the early church was devoted to? First, they were devoted to teaching and to prayer. Second, they had a sense of awe as to who God is. They had everything in common, meaning that if I had excess and you had a need, I could meet it. Or if you had excess and I had a need, then you could meet it. They enjoyed fellowship with a gladness and a sincerity of heart. Some of your translations may even say a simplicity of heart. And most importantly, they never stopped praising him for who he was. They never pulled back from praising him, and they always sought to meet the needs of those who were around them. And according to verse 47, the Lord added daily to their number that were being saved. He added daily to their number because they were living like Jesus. And friends, I believe we can expect the same thing today when we as the church live like Jesus Have you ever wondered why did the early church grow so quickly? Why did the early church grow seeing that some of this very group, many of this very group would have been martyred for the message? The early church grew because these men and women were so committed to bringing praise to God above all else and then seeking to meet the needs of those around them. Why has the church grown in the midst of persecution all over the world? It's because there are committed Christ followers who are saying, no matter what may happen, I will never stop praising him and I will always seek to meet the needs of those around me. In the midst of this pandemic we're in right now, why is the ministry of the church growing? It's because there are committed Christ followers who are saying, I will never stop trusting God's sovereignty, never stop praising him, and I will seek to meet the needs of anyone that I, can, that I will come in contact with. And Jesus tells us that that is in essence the secret sauce. That is what really sets the church apart. And it is the recipe that God gave us to be the church. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40 answers that question because there were religious leaders of the day who were asking, what should really be the most important things that I follow? And this is what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your minds. This is your first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself and all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I don't know about you, but this is the kind of work that I desire to be a part of. And friends, this is at the heart and the vision of Rolling Hills Community Church. It's why our vision statement as a church is to reach out, grow up, and give all. It's why our motto is to love everyone always. So even in this season of social distancing, we want you to take to the airwaves and let the world know that Jesus loves them and has an incredible plan for their life. It's why we ask you to give. Because see, your generosity is what ensures that this message keeps going out there and that the kingdom work continues to happen. It's why we ask you to support incredible ministries in our town, because those organizations are on the front line of meeting critical needs in the lives of some of the most vulnerable people. It's why we'd ask you to support Justice and Mercy International. Because see, there are men and women all over this globe that are taking the message of the gospel to the known and the unknown parts of the world. And it's ultimately why we ask you to share the hope and the light of Christ with all of those that you come in contact with. Because when we stand in awe of him and when we seek to meet the needs of those around us, (laughs) he does something, he shows up. So my question to you today is, can we count on you? Can you commit today to be the church in these most trying of times? Because throughout the history of the church, there have been some amazing moments where thousands of people came to faith in Christ But don't miss verses 42 through 47 because the numbers add daily and the significant things happen daily because of what you're doing in your home right now. They happen because you community group leaders are going to Zoom and you're not using this season to just take a break, but you're saying we want to engage even more. Those things are happening right now because you're living this out in your everyday life. And that is precisely what Jesus yearns for us all to do. I told you this at the beginning, but the day of Pentecost was a day to celebrate the harvest. How fitting is it that on a day to celebrate the harvest that God brings the harvest and that God brings the Holy Spirit to call the church into action. Jesus told us in Matthew 9, 37 to his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Friends, we need to be reminded right now that we don't have a harvest problem. We have a worker problem. There are people in your immediate sphere of influence right now that God is working in, and he wants you to step into their lives. See, you and I are workers, and there's a deficiency of workers. So will you be a worker in the harvest field? Here at Rolling Hills, we have a very unique model of ministry. Because, see, our model of ministry is all about the people who aren't here yet. It's all about those that don't have a life-giving relationship with Christ. It's all about those families that have not reoriented their life around what really matters. Now that may cause you to ask, well, what about me, Pastor Jason? What's my role? What am I supposed to do? Why am I here? Well, I wanna start by saying thank you for being here. Thank you for your engagement in this season. And we cannot wait to all be back together, to be back in our rooms at our campuses together. But until that day happens, I wanna remind you of this. The work is not finished for you because you're a worker. You're already here. You're a worker. You're on the team already. And what Jesus invites you to do is he invites you to put on an apron. He invites you to pick up a towel to serve. He invites you to put on the steel-toed boots to get to work to find those who are hurting. And for those of you that are watching today that don't have this life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to step on up to the plate because we have some really good news to share with you today. These past six weeks have been some of the most challenging weeks for you personally, and some of the most challenging weeks for me as well. For all of our small business owners, I know that this has been uh, such a difficult season, and we want you to know we're standing alongside you. For our students that are missing significant milestones in their high school, um, their high school experience, we want you to know that we are in your corner. For all of you who are on the front line, essential employees, nurses and doctors, know that we are cheering you on and we know that this has been such a tough season for all of us. But see what I hope that you have realized in that this time of adversity is that now is when you need the church more than ever. In fact, I would go as far to say it's now's the time for us to be the church more than ever because the early church held each other up. It met all of the needs that it physically could. It did not make the church about themselves, but they boldly proclaimed with everything in them, Jesus has a plan for all mankind. So friends, the church started strong. <laughs> Praise God, the church is still strong. So can we count on you today to be a worker in the harvest field? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you're doing in Rolling Hills Community Church and churches all across the globe today. We pray that we would all step up to the plate to be workers in your harvest field, to be people who are devoted to you above all. And when we do that, we know that you move and you work in ways that we could never ask or never imagine. So we give you all the praise for what you have done and give you the praise for what is to come. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all of these things, amen.